Well, welcome everyone. I can now say after Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas, right? And Happy Advent. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the members here at Parkview North. And for those of you who are online, welcome. Glad you're tuning in. And for everybody else who's in person, welcome. So I'm glad you're here. I think I've said hi to most of you, but if I haven't, I can afterwards. So um, this morning we're in uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. And so if you're able, go ahead and stand and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. 23, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and we'll read through 11, 1. That's our passage today. So 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but all, not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews, or to the Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, you can be seated. So I'm just going to start right off by giving you, with no fluff, my main point of the sermon. So, my main point today is seek the good of others first, because it builds up the church, it brings glory to God, and it breaks down barriers. So, seek the good of others first, because it builds up the church, brings glory to God, and breaks down barriers. And we'll also see that as we seek others first, this is the way of Christ. It's the gospel pattern. So today, uh, we're in our study of 1 Corinthians, and we're finishing uh, a section, verse, or chapters 8 through 10, through our passage today, is one major section of 1 Corinthians. It's, it's talking about Christian liberty issues. And that's what I want to talk about today, is issues of Christian liberty. So what is Christian liberty? Um, it's always good to define things, and one definition that I like is from a book called Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. He's one of my favorite authors, and it's one of my favorite books. 
Christian liberty is the term used to cover a multiple of activities where the Bible does not give us specific guidance. In those areas, we have liberty or freedom to choose for ourselves what to do, subject to certain guiding principles in Scripture. So we have many lifestyle choices that aren't directly taught in the Bible about what do we do with these things? How do we decide how to interact with one another and what to do with ourselves and our, and our families? That's Christian liberty. So back in Scripture, uh, the main issues were uh, revolved around diet and certain celebrations and days and festivals. But today there's a lot of uh, Christian liberty issues as well. And I just made a list of some that came to my mind. It's not exhaustive, but just to remind us of how big this topic really is and how much we do need to consider these passages. So, should I drink alcohol is one. If I decide that's okay, how much should I drink and with who should I drink with? Some people are not comfortable with participating in Halloween because it's connection to certain practices. What about getting a tattoo, uh, wearing jewelry, which I don't wear, but or getting piercings at all? What about that? What about just getting a piercing? Some people are uncomfortable with that. How about media choices? What types of movies do I watch? What types of TV shows do I watch? Who do I watch it with? Are there any concerns there? Some people are concerned about going out dancing, being in that environment. How about those who decide uh, not to wear a mask dur during COVID recommendations? Okay, I'm thinking about that one. I'm, not, I'm still thinking about this as a Christian liberty issue because it's new. But those who uh, don't want to wear the mask, maybe that's a Christian liberty issue. I'm still thinking about that. Uh, Sunday. What do we do on Sunday? Sunday, day of rest, Lord's Day. Do we go out to eat? Do we do our normal activities? Do we work? Do we um, not participate in normal things? Or are those things okay? Uh, going into questionable places, going into a bar or a casino or a place of worship uh, in another religion if people ask you to go there. So we realize that there's a lot of things here that, that um, we need to interact with, decide on, and uh, it's happening all the time around us. And it, it, it'll probably be decisions we need to make over and over again for the rest of our lives because we interact with different people. So back in our passage, the problem is um, what I call they were flaunting their freedom, flaunting freedom, freedom in Christ. So there was a group of Corinthian Christians exercising their freedom in a very arrogant way. They thought they were superior because they had this knowledge um, that they could go ahead and do anything they wanted, freedom in Christ. And they were also pretty uh, arrogant about this, thinking they were more mature than those who had the sensitive conscience. And so they were looking down on them who didn't feel as free in their consciences. So if you remember two weeks ago, Thomas spoke, and he's talked about what he called the gospel pattern. And I really like that phrase, the gospel pattern. And in this instance, the gospel pattern is putting others' good above your own. That's the way of Christ, the gospel pattern. He gave us that pattern. So we are free in Christ, yet we need to consider our neighbor's 
if, if the Corinthians really believed the gospel, they would consider others' consciences, others' needs as well. So Paul's ministry, if you think about it, is full of this pattern. When he was doing outreach, when he was building churches, he modeled this life of, of servanthood. Um, in our particular passage today, the issue is eating the food in the meat market. So we might read this a little bit and think, well, what's the big deal about you know, getting meat and eating it? Um, I remember in North Liberty, there was this place that used to be called Rob's Meat Market. Anybody remember that place? It's right in the middle of town, and my mom used to give me like a $20 bill on my birthday and say, go get some meat, like go get, you know, big thick cut, and they always had the bacon wrapped around it. It was like the best day, and um, so for like a growing teenager, it was awesome, but we didn't really think about, you know, is it connected to spiritual practices that we don't agree with? It wasn't really an issue, but back then, it was definitely an issue. Um, This meat was um, often... uh, gave people troubles. Um, it was connected with the Roman religious practices, idol worship. Um, so often the food sold in the meat market was first a, a part of a sacrifice that, that happened in the temple. And so that's a tricky situation. So there's many Christians that did not want to associate with this idolatry and remember last week, Josh talked about they needed to flee idolatry. So it was hard to know for the, the Corinthians what to do about all of this. How do we see this sensitive issue? And so if you look at verse 24, this is really the main thing that Paul wanted them to do, the main thing of the passage. And it says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so that's what I, I say is the main call the main command of the passage. In these Christian liberty issues, seek the good of others first. So this is called is right at the start of the passage, here in this verse, and it's also at the end of the passage when Paul is talking about how he practices these issues and how he reaches out. So it serves as sort of a bracket or a bookend of our whole passage. And I like this word seek. It says seek not his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so it's not a passive word at all, right? Seek, seek out some treasure, something like that, is an active pursuit. So it's a proactive serving. And this is the opposite of asserting our rights. At all costs, I must assert my rights. It's considering the best interest of others, continually asking ourselves, what's the good of another? So two other words I like for this are beneficial and profitable for someone else. So it's seeking what benefits someone spiritually. It's seeking what is profitable for someone else's relationship with the Lord. So that's the main call. And the main question, I think, is why? (laughs) So why do this? Um, And when we're thinking about Christian liberty, Why should we seek the good of others first? And I see uh, there are three reasons why to do this in the passage. The first reason is it builds up the church. It builds up the church. If you look at verses 23 and 24, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So we see right off here, there's some quotations. And this is a common phrase that some of the Corinthian church used to assert their rights at the cost of others, to flaunt their freedom. So, but Paul is correcting them. He's saying, yes, you are free to practice your Christian liberty, but consider your attitude in that. Your attitude is not helpful or beneficial for the spiritual health of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think it's easy to slide into selfishness in some of these issues when you, you have thought about it and considered it and made a decision. Um, my friend group in college, this is when I was wrestling with all these things for the first time with Christian liberty. We often slid into selfishness as our default. So I went to a Christian college, and they had this wonderful thing called a lifestyle statement. <laughs> so they had all these things that they wanted us to do and, or not do as a, a commitment together as this Christian community. So it was things like, I won't drink, I won't dance, I won't gamble, I won't use tobacco, um, uh, use vulgar language, uh, I won't wear certain clothes. We also had a curfew, which was the hardest for me, <laughs> but a curfew, we couldn't have TVs in our rooms, and other things uh, like that. And so we would often read these passages and think, wow, these rules, what are all these rules? You know, these are restrictive. You know, we're free in Christ to do these things if we really feel like we want to, you know. And um, so, you know, we're free to be these mature Christians, right? You know, as I don't know how old I was, like 20 or something, like we're so mature. <laughs> um, so we would often complain and, and debate, you know, how restrictive this was. But I'll never, I'll never forget one friend, um, his name was John, was listening to us, and, and he took a different approach. And at one point, we were discussing it, and he softly said, Guy, guys, I think, I think this, these rules can be good. They can be good. They can be good for the unity of the community. They can be good for the school. They can be good for building people up. They can be good for helping the uh, person who has a sensitive conscience if we abstain. Didn't Christ put others first? <laughs> and so we kind of nodded and, and it, it brushed him off a little bit. But when I think ab about that, I'll never forget that. It was totally a different uh, type of feel, what he was saying, than what we were, the way that we were saying it. And I think it, his attitude was a little bit more much in tune with our passage today. So the Corinthians had this pride, and, and remember we have chapter 8 that says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So knowledge sometimes in Christian liberty can get us into trouble. It can lead to being puffed up or an overinflated ego that we forget to consider others around us. But the opposite is love. Love is what builds people up. Serving others is what builds them up. And so I like the word there at the end, uh, or at the end of the first verse. Uh, it's um, building up. And that's one of my favorite words of this 
of this passage. And the reason I like it is it's used in other places in 1 Corinthians as not only something for myself, but for others. Build up the entire community. Build up the church. So if you think Jesus said, I will build my church. And later on, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, strive to excel in the building up of the church. So the church is God's temple. It's God's building. And so we're to be constructing or constructive in our actions. And so it builds up the temple. It edifies the church of God. And so Paul says, be careful. You know, it's so easy to tear people down in these Christian liberty issues. We need to encourage people, edify people, serve the church, not tear people down by being selfish and arrogant. We're all in this together. Like, let's, let's build one another, is the, the idea. So why do we seek the good of others first in these issues? Well, first, it builds up the church. It's constructive to the community. And secondly, it brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. And so if you look again at the next section, verses 25 through 31, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are not disposed and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this offer has been this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whatever you, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul tells them, go ahead and eat whatever's sold in that meat market. And the reason he gives is found in this quote from Psalm 24.1. It's a great psalm. And he gives that reason. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So this means that God owns everything. Everything in it is God's in the earth. So this truth is the foundation for Paul's whole Christian liberty discussion here. The psalm goes on to say, God founded the earth upon the seas, established it. And later the psalm says that he's the king of glory. He owns it all. So they were free to eat anything because all creation is a good gift of God. It's from the king of glory to be enjoyed. So in this section, if we scan through, we do find some principles about Christian liberty if you can start, you know, jotting down as you go through and study on your own, too. I want to point out just a few that will be helpful for us. We just talked about the first one is um, we have the freedom in Christ to eat because God owns it all. And then if you look at verse 29 and 30, Paul uses a couple questions and his own example to highlight a few principles. Verse 29, why should my freedom be determined by someone else? So this indicates another principle uh, we're free to determine what is good for us to live according to our own consciences. Then verse 30, he asks the question, why am I denounced because of, for which I give thanks? Thankfulness is important in Christian liberty issues. Can we do it with gratitude to our Creator who has blessed us? 
And then if you look at verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So principle there is we're to live to the glory of God. Honor Him as we decide what's best. Live according to our consciences. But we also see in this passage a, a caution to consider. And you probably picked up on it. If a fellow believer's conscience is bothered, then don't eat. That's how you seek their good first. Sinclair Ferguson says, we're given liberty in Christ in order to be servants of others and not to indulge in our own preferences. Verse 31, do everything to the glory of God. It's just a great verse, isn't it? It's, it's, glory, it's a glorious verse, and it gives us our purpose. Do all things for His honor, to magnify Him, to exalt Him. Not just things that we do on Sunday or religious practices, but in everything we do every day, honor Him in everything as our Creator. And then in this immediate context, remember that, you know, when we're deciding whether, they're, they were deciding whether or not to eat the food or to eat the food, and it means like decide what you can do and, and also be able to give glory to God in that decision. So, which decision will most honor God and give Him thanks? Do that. <laughs> so how particularly then, when I was thinking through how particularly does glory, glory to God in, it, in this connect with the Christian liberty issues? And I searched for it, and I found Romans 14 is, I think, the key to understanding the connection. And this passage is a good parallel passage. It talks about the same things um, as our passage it's about eating and observing certain days. Verses 5 through 8. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord to give him thanks. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord to give him thanks. For no one lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So I just think this is an amazing connection. We exist, right, for the glory of God. We belong to God. We're the Lord's. We live to the Lord. We die to the Lord. And then notice Paul's priority in these verses I just read. Honoring God in your decision, giving him thanks. However we decide to live. So if we do something, can we still honor God and give him thanks? Then do it. If we abstain from something, can we abstain and still honor God and give him thanks? Then do that. In some situations, it might not be best to win. <laughs> My way is right. It might be better or best to pre prefer the other person. So why seek the good of others? So we've seen that it, it uh, builds the church, it brings honor to God and glory to God, and then thirdly, it breaks down barriers. Seeking the first, others first in Christian liberty breaks down the barriers. Verses 32 and 33, Give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. That's Paul talking there. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. 
So the exhortation is give no offense. And other translations, don't cause someone to stumble. So in other words, don't create those barriers for people to stumble over. And I think it means more than just, hey, you know, try to be nice to people, right? It means um, don't cause them to stumble and fall. So we've seen this stumbling block issue. If we go back way back to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said it, Christ crucified is, is the stumbling block. And so one idea here is that the gospel should be what really makes people stumble. They should be considering that and deciding. Um, not getting tripped up on us asserting our rights at all costs. So causing others to stumble can be dangerous. It can be dangerous because it, it can hinder other believers' growth. It hurts someone's relationship with God, their conscience. And it also hinders the spread of the gospel, depending on how we decide to, to live around those that we're reaching out. If we're not flexible, you know, the very people that we try to reach might become more closed. And then notice here three groups of people mentioned. Don't cause the Jews, the Greeks, or the church of God to stumble. So here, what's on Paul's mind and heart if you just read through this passage? Paul says the church, for one, is on his mind and heart. I, I try to please everyone in everything I do. So this idea of please is very important. It means, it means more than just do what pleases people, what they like. It means do something for their benefit. Paul wanted to do the right thing for the benefit of someone else spiritually, for their relationship with God. So he loved and he served. We also see what's on Paul's heart here is reaching people with the gospel, right? I mean, they are going to eat with non-believers. That's a good thing. And that's on Paul's heart too. He became all things to all men. Remember that phrase from a few weeks ago? So that some may be saved. So Christian liberty decisions have eternal consequences, right? So Paul traveled around, reaching out to many different groups, to many different people, and he, he realized, hey, I need to be a little flexible here in how I am living to best reach out, not to be a hindrance, not to make it harder for people to receive my message. And then 1 Corinthians 13, just in a little bit more, a few more weeks, we'll look at that. Actually, I think it's after the new year. So we'll do some Advent um, for a while. And then after the new year, we'll pick up back in 1 Corinthians, I believe. But it says, love is not self-seeking. Remember that? Love's not self-seeking. So it's really all about love. What is the most loving? What builds up the most? For the church. Then do that, right? And for the lost. So those are the, my three benefits of seeking other first in the Christian liberty issues. And I'd like to do a little bit of application now to try to sort of sink our teeth a little bit deeper into what this might mean for us. And I came up with three questions to just ask ourselves. So as we live, we want to honor God and glorify Him and everything and encounter these different issues. You know, my job this morning is not to debate all the different issues, but to just highlight what might be 
good principles as we consider things. So the three questions, when, and you can ask this to yourself when you're evaluating whether you're deciding to do something or not. Is it helpful for building up the church? Does it honor the Lord and give Him thanks? And does it create barriers for people? So the first one is, is it helpful for building up of the church? So think about your church as a whole, the group. Who are the people in the church? If you see something a little differently than someone else in the church, which happens all the time, ask yourself, do I stop and listen? You know, honestly, hear what they're saying. Maybe I need to prefer their preferences and needs. And then remember that we're all in this together. We're a family. We're here to edify one another. Secondly, you can ask yourself, all right, I'm trying to decide what to do. Does it honor the Lord and lead to thankfulness? So can you give glory and thanks to God in this decision? But also, if you practice something or abstain from it, Will others be fully able to honor the Lord and be thankful? Will others be able to worship and pray with a clean conscience? And then thirdly, ask yourself, does this create barriers for people? Will it put up a stumbling block for people? In regards to outreach, you know, does this make it easier or harder for a, a non-Christian to hear what I have to say? You know, will, will they be more open or less open? In regards to building up the church, will my lifestyle decision bother a Christian who has a sensitive conscience? So remember, we're on an outward-focused mission to, to build up the church and to bring the gospel to the nations. So let me give you a little example from my life. It's a small thing, but I think it might help uh, us as we work through it, how I worked through something recently. So when I was dating Sarah, who's now my wife, thanks to God, uh, make, I, I, I was uh, going through a book with her called 101 Questions to Ask Yourselves Before Getting Engaged. Okay? <laughs> 101 Questions to Ask Yourself Before Getting Engaged. We didn't do all the questions. That's a lot of questions. We might still not be engaged. <laughs> We're still discussing them. But we picked our uh, favorite ones to help us think through things. And one of them was, is there anything about my life or personality that concerns you at this time? Is there anything about my life, personality, that's just a concern? And let's talk about it. And that was a really good question for us. Um, we didn't have huge things that were issues. Uh, but, but one issue that Sarah was concerned about was uh, f some of the phrases I used made her uncomfortable. And so one of the phrases I would use a lot was just kind of an exclamation. If, if something was unbelievable, I would say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, I would use that phrase. And she was concerned about this phrase um, because of the origins of it, taking the name Lord in vain. That's kind of what it's from, you know. So my third, first thought was, and I didn't say this out loud to be a good boyfriend, but this is really silly, <laughs> you know. This is going way overboard, you know. Um, wow, I don't know what I think about this. So and then later I told my roommate Casey, you know, still working through it, you know, my initial reaction, 
You know, isn't this extreme? You know, it, it, people say this all the time. You know, when I say it, you know, I, I'm not taking the Lord's name in vain. You know, I think the same about the Lord, you know, if I say it or not. And Casey quietly responded, well, I agree with Sarah. <laughs> I have that concern too. And I was like, what? I never knew this about you. Like, I, we've been roommates for years and friends for over 10 years. I didn't even know this. So, after my initial reaction, I stopped and I was like, okay, I got two people that I know really well, I love, they're concerned about this. You know, maybe I should think. You know, once I got over my initial response, hey, you know, I think it's personally fine, but perhaps I could change my phrase and things would go better. Um, so hmm, maybe there's something that I need to do. So maybe this is a Christian liberty issue. I think it is. Uh, I don't want to bother their consciences. So I decided after a while that I would try not to say the phrase. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I could try and work it out. And so I tried to work on it and not say the phrase because it did bother them and I wanted to prefer them. And about a year later, fast forward about a year, Sarah and I were hanging out, and she said, hey, I noticed you don't use that phrase, oh my gosh, anymore. I really appreciate that. And I smiled, and then a little bit later we got married. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it helped. You know, maybe there is something to following the Lord's will. <laughs> and so we also see in this passage, you know, that serving others is the gospel pattern that I said earlier. It's not, all, not just what Paul wanted to do. It's also the way of Christ. It's the way of our Savior. That's what I want to focus on right at the end here. Check out 11.1. Uh, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul lived his life worthy of imitation. He, he wanted to be a model, always looking to Christ as his example. So he wanted the Corinthians to imitate him in, these, in, these, in his posture towards Christian liberty issues. And they were all to imitate their Savior, Christ, in all of this, imitate his attitude of serving. So he's the ultimate example of serving. Serving others in the way of Christ our Savior. That's the core of the gospel message, if you really think about it. In fact, if you consider Jesus, he did all three of our main points today. Christ builds up the church. Christ has all power and authority. And he died and rose again in power and gives us that resurrection power. He gives us his word and his spirit. He gives us spiritual gifts for building up of the church. And he promises to build up the church, to strengthen it, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Death won't overcome it. So, wow, it grows and expands. His heart is to build up the church. And he also brings great glory to God. Jesus put our needs first, suffered, was sacrificed, and rose again, right? Providing forgiveness. So that in everything we do, we can do all to the glory of God. He opened that path. And Jesus told the Father, John 17, 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work 
which you have set me out to do. So Jesus went to the cross to accomplish that work. So the Father was well pleased. And then if you think about it, Jesus is the ultimate barrier breaker. He was called the friend of sinners, right? He served sinners. He suffered for us. He died. He rose again in power. He did this so that the peace of God might be available to all peoples on earth without any barriers. Romans 15, 2 and 3 is a great passage. It's, it's a model of Christ's servanthood that I'm talking about here. <clears throat> and I think it beautifully summarizes, summarizes our principles about Christ. Romans 15, 2, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. So there's our main command in our verses too. And then the next verse gets at why. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So we see there our, our word again, build, pleasing our neighbor for his good and Christian liberty builds up. It encourages him. And then there's the gospel pattern too in these verses displayed by Christ. He was reproached. He was shamed on the cross as he put our, our needs first, that we might be saved. So we're celebrating this Advent season, a time where we think about how Christ came and the circumstances around that, and then long for his return. We focus on Christ. And I wanted to read, just to finish, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. It's a well-known verse, but I just couldn't stop thinking about this verse as I was studying, how it was talking about what I'm saying. And it's also talking a little bit about Advent, too. So Philippians 2, 6 and 11, or 6 through 11. How did Jesus display this gospel pattern, seeking our good? It says, Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not consider equality of God to be used for his own advantage. That's the attitude of a servant, if you look at it. So Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how Jesus put others first. And the Father was greatly pleased with this. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So my exhortation is Parkview, you know, let's look to Christ as our ultimate example. We consider these freedoms in Christ. They're pretty amazing. But we also we need to be careful in these Christian liberties to serve each other as Christ served us. We do this for the good of the church. We do it for the glory of God. And we do it for the gospel, to advance the gospel among all nations. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for 
what you have done for us. Once again, in a new, fresh way, we're reminded how you pleased the Father and loved us in your actions and attitudes. We pray that we would take to heart the gospel pattern, putting others first in all these issues as we think through them. We pray that you would give us a heart and a mind to know how to apply these things to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.